This is the Mailbox Money Podcast, and I am Bronson Hill. As a busy professional, I wrestled with how to grow my income without taking up more of my precious time. I learned that managing real estate, actively trading stocks, or being unable to scale up investments is not passive investing. This is the place where you'll discover new asset classes, develop investing skills, and learn from experts how to become financially free with less work than you thought possible. And now, get ready for truly passive income. So how is it possible to buy an apartment building with no money down? Well, my guest today, Matt Faircloth, has done this, and he's actually scaled his apartment portfolio to over 1,350 units. So really excited to hear that story. Matt, how are you today? I'm awesome, Bronson. It's grateful to be here. Awesome. Really glad to have you. So how did you do it? How did you buy? And how, first of all, tell us a story on this apartment. How big was the apartment and how did you do that with no money? And I, I just, I'm really curious. It's funny. I mean, there's a little bit of, um, not, not saying it's, it's uh, whatever you want to say it is, but it's, it's kind of read, read a certain way can be read to mean a certain thing, but there certainly is money that transacts. It's not like I just walk up and look at the apartment building and say, Hey, can I have that? You know, I mean, there, <laughs> I there are, that. that is a financial transaction that happens. There is money that's given to the seller um, from us, part of which, of course, through a bank loan. Um, but uh, it, it is a that video that we shot on our YouTube channel that it has something like a quarter million views or whatever um, is a baseline education video on how to handle a syndication, you know, on um, and, and the real story is that I bought that uh, that's an that was an 18 unit building that we bought in Northeast Philadelphia. Um, and we bought it for um, no money out of our own pocket. Right. And so the, uh, but the down money, um, like, like the, the earnest money that comes when you typically post to buy a property. Um, that's something that in a lot of circumstances where if you don't have the initial check, you can partner with a capital partner from day one that can front a lot of that. Um, in my book, Raising Private Capital, I talk a lot about uh, deal providers and cash providers. And there is a misunderstanding in the industry that, um, that you have to, that you've got to provide all things. You got to provide the cash, you got to provide the know-how, the knowledge, the resources, the muscle, the contacts, the, you know, the, the business plan, all this stuff to make the deal work. And you've also got to provide the balance sheet, the dollars, the everything of all of those things that'd be in a perfect world. It would be the, all of those things that I just said, you have to bring to the table to be a successful homeowner or a successful small property purchaser. But when you get into small and mid-sized multi or smaller mid-sized real estate, um, what's great is you can start divvying up roles and responsibilities of all those things I just said. Um, and so raising private capital talks about in that, like on that deal, where we provided those things. We provided the deal, the know-how, the knowledge, the management team, the um, business plan, the, all those things. And then in, investors on the other side of it um, provided the passive capital uh, to be the earnest money deposit, to be the equity in the deal. Um, and we provided the bank loan to bridge the rest. So it was a 75% down purchase. So 750,000 came from a bank, 250,000 came from investors, plus the closing cost, plus the money to renovate the property. Yeah. So I think um, what you shared, I think is, is going to be a, a, there's going to be a real light bulb moment for a lot of people. When I first got into real estate, I did single family, like a lot of people do. And they start with mm -hmm. single family and I had four or five houses and, you know, was working with a family member. And then I have a cousin who's more, a little more of a distant cousin said, Hey, uh, why don't you do 
uh, multifamily. And I said, I'd love to, but I don't have the money. He said, well, you can raise the money. And it was just, you know, read this book, go to this podcast, you know, or listen to this podcast, go yeah. to the conference. And it's amazing the power of other people's money. And when you really align yourself with people that are really, they have a money problem, meaning they, they mm -hmm. have uh, money and they don't know where to put it to get a good return. And so when you're mm -hmm. able to kind of help solve this problem, sometimes you can do it with little or no money down and it's a great way to get going. So that's really real estate syndication and how it works. So talk to us a little bit about your journey and kind of how you got started and into multifamily and just kind of what you like about it, kind of a little bit of your journey on that. Well, we kind of had stepped into it one step into another. Uh, and I'll answer your last question first. What I love about it is we want to make an impact. The, the mission for my company, the DeRosa Group, is to transform lives through real estate. We want to make, I mean, I, I'll get a little, uh, you know, a, a little fuzzy here. We, uh, you know, a little teddy bear fuzzy. We want to make the world a better place through what we do. Um, it's it's real fun and and it's it's all those things to make money and it's rewarding to make money. But if you're not, I mean, it's 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 easier than you think it is, right? So now that you've gotten money, making money as a box checked on what you want to do, what else do you want to do? Well, I want to make a difference. I want to make people's lives better. I want to make an impact. Well, we want my wife and I, Liz, want to make an impact, a big one. Um, and we want to make the world better through our investments. And so that's the biggest thing I love about multifamily real estate is the biggest way to imp impact people's lives um, I've seen. And we've done other real estate investing too, but residential housing provides the best means to make an impact on people. And that's what I love most about residential housing is I can make the tenant's life better, my investor's life better, the staff that works for the property or at the property's lives better, or give them some fulfillment for what they're doing um, and that. And so uh, on, on a lot of different fronts, that's what I love about residential. Um, but uh, going back to our track, right, to our, our history, um, our first, uh, kind of like you got, got started in syndicate and, and, um, and, uh, didn't get started in syndications, got started in small single family real estate, got started in small stuff and worked our way into it. And our, our first equity investment that wasn't like immediate friends or family, um, was somebody my wife went to college with that gave us 50 K for our first deal. And we took that 50 K in equity and went and bought two little single family homes, um, two little duplex or two little, uh, town townhomes in Trenton. Um, fixed them up, refinanced them, you know, and, and, uh, and, uh, did that over and over again, did like a burr strategy, uh, with that person's money. They became, they became a great partner of ours and referred more people to us. And, and that snowball started to get bigger and bigger and bigger where the word got out that we were doing real estate deals. We kept doing right by people, right by our investors. They told their friends about it and it just got larger and larger and went from, that project was 50K. Next project was 120K. Project after that was 300K and then 500. And then off, off we go from there, right? Um, yeah. and, uh, and and then it, we just built a track record and built the better... Um, just built it like just a like 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 a better and better uh, uh you know what, what do they call build build a better mousetrap each time you know um it yeah. built a built a better business that knows how to run multifamily real estate and just you know scaled and grew and took the lessons um took the lumps from our mistakes and grew and expanded and got larger and larger and a bigger multifamily and then the light bulb went I'll, I'll tell this brief story Bronson the light bulb went off because a lot of the I even wrote an article one time for Bigger Pockets. It said, I will never buy a property more than 30 minutes away from my office, mm -hmm. you know, 
Right. It's funny what happens when you, you know, put things like out there. <laughs> I've done like that this. too. I'll put things out there and I'm like totally doing the things I said I would never do. I know. It's like, but it's like the, but it's like the, 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 there's a force out there that conspires to make you wrong. Sometimes when you say you'll never do something, it's like, oh, yeah. I'll show you what never looks like, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we were managing about 115 units out of our Trenton office. And that included some properties in Philadelphia, um, including the property you referenced at the beginning of this interview, the, the uh, you know, no money down, pro- air quote, no money down property, right? Uh-huh. Um, that was in Philly and we managed that one ourselves. And, uh, an opportunity came up from that same broker that sold me that property in Philly said, Hey, I want to show you something in Lancaster. And I was like, oh, Lancaster, huh? <laughs> like a bunch of Amish people are right. And I'm like, he's like, no, no, no. It's a great town. You'll love it. You know, come out, just take, take the drive. It's two hours away, one way to drive out to this property. Yeah. I'm like, how can I send like a leasing agent this far? I can't send a technician this far. I'm totally breaking my bigger pockets article now. I can't do this. So I go out there and look at it. And I'm like, this is it. This, this deal. Um, this, it was a converted factory. It was a, was a factory had been turned into apartment building. Um, but it was converted 20 years ago. And all the, um, all the uh, like, you know, kitchens and bathrooms and, and fixtures and everything was all from 20 years ago. That is a perfect value add play. It's like, the, hey, facelift, man. Let's let's get in here and take out the old, you know, bay, the old uh, beige Kenmore, uh, you know, uh, refrigerator and put in a nice stainless steel one. You know, let's do some do some facelifts. Easy. But I'm like, oh man, I can't do this because I, I can't manage my wife. And I was like, we'll just start up a Lancaster division of the Derosa Group for our management team. And my wife's like, hey, how about you try something different? How about, cause she, she was like, cause she knew that the property management thing was like, I was putting in 80% of my time and making 20% of my money from it. You know, mm-hmm. it was the Pareto yeah. principle upside down. It was the wrong arrangement of it. Right. So she was like, why don't you try not managing that property? What if you handed it off to a third party? You know, I was like, well, that's not what we do. It's, you know, it's our brand. And she's like, well, just, you could always take it back, you know? And so we hired a local PM. And that was a game changer because it took mm. my brain out of property management and into asset management and into expansion and into um, built, like really, really running what an owner should be running, which is 10,000 foot level conversations. Should we sell? Should we refinance? Should we raise rents? Um, what is the management strategy? And then implementing that plan to the manager and letting a property manager just be boots on the ground side. Um it's because every here and again in Trenton, I was still showing apartments. I was making, you know, collection calls sometimes, you know, when I had to. So, uh, but it took me out of the, like the, the minutia boots on the ground level thing. And, and to kind of, kind of put me up in a hot air balloon above the business. So I can kind of like look at all of it and see the way things are running. And that enabled me to really design a system and design um, a next level company that enabled us to lever up into, into larger stuff. But I'm grateful we went from the bottom up because I now know tenant interfaces. I know I've seen it. I've walked some, I've walked more apartments than most apartment building owners have, you know, um, I, I've dealt with a lot of the hands-on level of it. Um, but now I don't do that anymore, but I graduate, I've graduated, if you will, from it. Um, so that was a, that's in essence our growth trajectory. Yeah. So that, that's a really great point. I'm really glad you bring that up because I think a lot of people, uh, watching this, they're interested in how do I, how do I get to that next level or how do I do an apartment or how do I, and, and, and really when it comes to scale and what you talk about with multifamily and syndication in particular, it is, it's like a puzzle and there's different pieces yeah. that have to be there, right? There, you got the operations, you got finding the deal, you've got, uh, you know, raising the money, you've got other, and, and it's such a team sport. And once I realized, 
I didn't have to do everything. I realized I could continue to grow and scale because to me, I love working with people and I love being able to raise funds and I'm not the, the day-to-day operations person. And can be like you, you know, being able to adjust and say, hey, you know, I want to do the 10,000 foot view. I want to do the asset management. I want to work on these different elements. And mm-hmm. it's amazing if you can bring value to people and, you know, just how much that really adds to them. So let, let me ask you for a second, um, for you, when you started you know, raising money for deals, and you just mentioned you have some big stuff that you're working on now, but mm-hmm. uh, when, when you started, what, what's one thing that you wish you'd known before you started raising money for doing apartment deals? Um, hmm, it's a good one. Uh, it's funny. <laughs> this is funny. <laughs> this will sound funny, um, you, you know, but uh, what to do when an investor surprises you and says yes, you know, <laughs> because oh. you end up, yeah, I know you've raised a ton of capital yourself, but I mean, like in the beginning, when you're raising capital, you're like you're running around, like just trying to get so just you're, 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 you know, kind of smacking your head against the wall, trying to get somebody to give you some attention to be interested yeah. in your deal. But at some point, you get your script down, you get your, you get the business plan right, you get the, you catch the right deal with the right business plan, and you've got the, you've got your conversation down. You've been told no a bunch of times, and now it's time. Okay, I've learned all from all the no's, and now it's time to start hearing yes. And it's almost like a surprise. <laughs> like, yeah. like, oh, you do? Really? Okay, awesome. Well, thank you. I'm grateful for that. But then it's like, um, I didn't have a lot of that backdoor pipeline built about like, okay, this is where DocuSign, this is where you go to DocuSign, this is where you, da, da, da. and over time we had to build out these systems um, and that. But I wish that I had built out the second leg of like okay now this is this is where they go and this is how seamlessly like intri- just easy you make it for people um and so that that's um that's what i wish that i had known and we had to build yeah. it on the fly we i mean sometimes you're like building systems for for something that that you're you're in the middle of now you're kind of building as you go or as as my as friends of mine have said you're kind of building the parachute jumping out of the airplane and building the parachute on the way down kind of thing that's it you know? that's it that's from uh, robert yeah. kiyosaki's book before you quit your job so yeah, I, yeah, I read yeah. that book before I quit my job and he talks about jumping out of a parachute or jumping out of a plane without a parachute and trying to assemble on before they hit the ground. That's his yeah. illustration. But, uh, but no, you're right. I remember having 63 uh, phone calls and conversations with friends and family before my first deal. And they all said no. And I met my first uh, you know, investor at a meetup that I was leading and I introduced them to somebody else. And, and that was kind of my first deal that I got into. But uh, you're right, having processes and things in place, and you kind of figure things out as you go along with the more insight you can give into that investor experience. It's like when we go to Starbucks or Chipotle or you fill in the blank, whatever your favorite place is, you know it's going to be good. Are you going to have a certain experience because of you know the way that they have their systems and processes in place? And so it's the same with investors. Most of them have never done this before. So you become like a guide that really is holding their hand, walking them through this. So the, the cleaner and easier and, and more beneficial that experience can be the better. So, and I know you've mm-hmm. written, you've written a book. I've actually read most of your book, uh, Raising Private Capital. Thank you. Um, talk to us a little bit about your book. What made you want to write it? And, and why should people read it? Like what's in there that uh, give us, give us a nugget from your book. Well, I wanted you're... to write it because I thought it'd be easy to write a book, but that was really wrong <laughs> about that. So um, found, found that out the hard way. Thanks, bigger pockets. And you're yeah. like, ah, you write easy, a book, yeah. come on. You write a lot of articles for us. Yeah. You're a good writer. You'd be good. Yeah, two weeks, two weeks. You'll be done. You'll be done in two weeks. Yeah, it'd be easy. Yeah, it'd be easy. How hard could it be? And that's what I was like, yeah, they're right. How hard could it be to write a book? No problem. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, this is like a second job that takes a year. You know, this is great. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I, I was, I'm extremely grateful that I wrote it. I'm grateful to have given, been given the opportunity to write it by them, uh, with them. And, um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of the work as well. The, the book just really, it, it is not how to raise lots of money for apartment buildings. There are, it, that is there. Um, and there is a lot of that in there, but it's really just in general, the way that private capital, the way that private money plays into general real estate investing, that it plays into the flipper that wants to grow and expand or the wholesaler or the, the landlord, um, the, the small landlord or the large landlord that wants to grow and expand their business. A lot of that's in there and a lot of my personal stories in there too. So it's attracting investors, structuring deals with those investors, and then exiting with those investors, mitigating problems with the, the, the investor may point out or issues they may have. All that's in there. And it's chock full of my story of, of going from you know one to however many thousand units or whatever it is. Yeah, some of these stories are really interesting. I was thinking of you mentioned a problem, you know, problems that come up with investors. I was thinking this this best deal we've ever had was a deal in Jacksonville. And there was an investor, not that I brought in, but another partner brought in. Yeah. And this guy, my my partner basically had said, and this is always a thing when you raise money, you always kind of say it may take a little longer to get distribution started. So they said, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, three months, we're hoping to start distributions. And it was like three months and one, three months and one day, this guy was the first time investor, um, you know, <sighs> spoke and said, hey, you know, I don't want to worry. Got, just got all upset. So they ended up like buying this investor out, which was, was good because, you know, the deals performed phenomenally well. I mean, it's literally been... I think it's been a 75% investor equity increase in 10 months because it's Jacksonville, right? It's been ridiculous. We're about to 1031 it into a larger deal. But it's unfortunate that this guy, the expectation wasn't set correctly, right? That, hey, yes. it could be, you know, I'd rather say, hey, it's going to be six to 12 months, but it depends on the performance and this and that. Can you talk a little more maybe about any kind of faux pas or things that maybe mistakes you made along the way? Mm-hmm. Obviously, those processes have changed, but uh, you know, can you share maybe a story from maybe from the book or just from your own experience? I, I mean, I've had that exact same story happen too, where people mm-hmm. have been like, I mean, they, they become nervous Nellies and, and yeah. um, they'll call you every other, every other week about like, Hey, how's it going? How's it going? Have you done it? I'm like, man, how yeah. quick can I get you your money back? You know? Yeah. I mean, seriously, like, can I like what, what if you can't be patient and understand there's, there's a bunch of different wow. variables that it takes to make these things work you know, then you might not be cut out to be a passive investor. You might be better off as an active, you know, um, when you can control and touch the whole thing. And some, I think that's, that's a lesson is that some passive investors need to be taught how to be a passive investor. Um, and, you know, we send out reports, we send out updates. Um, we'll keep you in the loop. When there is a change, we'll tell you. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I, I think that like my, my biggest lesson learned is that you over-communicate because I've had deals where we weren't sending out enough communications. Uh, so now we sent out, we sent out monthly updates um, and uh, quarterly financial statements and those kinds of things. And I think that the biggest lesson is that whatever you do, it has to be repeatable. So we pay our preferred returns on the exact same day of every quarter, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. So it's like, I think it's 22nd of the month, the 22nd of the day after that quarter ended. That's when the quote, that's when the pref goes out every time, you know? Um, And uh, we used to not operate on a fiscal, on a, on a uh, fiscal calendar of December, uh, December fiscal calendar. Now we do. Everything operates on that. Uh, We would operate, we were operating on a calendar based on when the deal closed. So the deal closed in July that was the end of the fiscal year for that deal. Makes sense because now you've held it for a year, right? And well, that's it's a it's it's like a deal cycle calendar versus a fiscal calendar um, for the you know for like like a, like a typical calendar calendar, right? Um, it it makes it if you got one deal, that's very easy. 
But if you got a bunch of them and every deal is operating on a different calendar and every deal like, oh, no, the preferred return doesn't go out on that deal this month. It only goes out on this one or whatever. Um, the, the biggest thing that I got for investor relations and investor compensation was systematizing and, and doing, yeah. doing things on repeatable timeframes. Um, yeah. And once we did that, we were really able to scale because in it, 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 there's these bottlenecks of confusion that show up if you do things. Yeah, on, on small on small size, they make sense. But the big question to ask is for every decision you're going to make, well, what would happen if my business got 10 times bigger? You know, not that you have to plan everything that way, but like if my business got 10 times bigger, would doing it this way still make sense? You know? Yeah. And if the answer is no, then you either need to examine like, okay, well, I'll do it this way for now. And at some point I'll have to pivot to a better way to do it. Um, or maybe I bite the bullet, drink the Kool-Aid, pay a little more money and do it the right way now. And that just yeah. becomes a habit for my company. Yeah, totally. No, and I've got stories I can tell you on both sides of that I've been on both yeah. sides of that equation um, oh, about yeah. having to do things too late or done things way early. And it didn't make sense in the beginning. Like, why are we doing it this way? And then you kind of grew into, oh, yeah, we've always done it like that. And it makes total sense. You know, yeah, th that's a really good point. I think too, uh, a lot of people starting out, even for me starting out, like it, it was something I didn't really understand that you do need to think about systems and processes mm -hmm. and scale. You can't, talk to everybody and be best friends with all your investors. And as much as you'd want to, like, I'm a very relational guy, but uh, I can't, I, I just can't hang out with every single person. So I try to create things like this show or other resources that will help to, you know, I can spend more time with people through that just as you do, or you write your articles, or you do your things through bigger pockets or write a book. And then also when it comes to your investments and your projects, just having repeatable processes that even if, if you lose a team member, you've got kind of things in place so that somebody yeah. can step in and help understand how that process works. So I think it's great. So Matt, I wanted to ask you, um, what, what's next for you? Uh, is there anything you can talk about next for you? And you've, you've obviously built quite an impressive you know, business and things that you're doing with your real estate. Uh, but what's next for you in the DeRosa Group? Uh, we're going to do Jerosa Galactic and start building rocket ships. No, <laughs> I think I've heard of somebody uh, else doing that. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, man. Then my name might be taken, the Galactic thing. You're right, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, we're going to, well, we're going to keep doing what we've been doing, meaning like buying midsize multifamily apartment buildings. We buy workforce housing, C-class stuff, which is a lot of times older vintages, but that's just how I grew up in real estate is I, I've always, but I, mean, I started investing in Philadelphia, Trenton, whatever. Uh, I was buying stuff that was built in the, in the 1900s, you know, <laughs> so mm -hmm, sure. um, buying properties that are built in the sixties and seventies kind of feels like a little bit of an upgrade. Right. <laughs> um, so I don't mind older vintages, air quote, older vintages and multifamily as some people to poo poo those things. I we, we're fine with that. Cause we know we've seen it all. I've seen name it lead based paint, galvanized pipe, aluminum wiring, you, you know, federal Pacific breakers, not not afraid of it know how to get around it not that we're cocky about it but we know those things exist and you put enough capex budget together you can modernize an older building um and so we're going to keep doing more of that because that's our niche and we also want to provide affordable workforce housing to as many people as we can um to go forward there bronson is like i i'd like for this to be a 2022 thing that happens for us and we've got a few things on the horizon that could make it that could make it come to fruition but i'd like to get more into green building you know i want to do new construction uh, and i've got two new construction projects that are uh at, at some point in the pipeline right now and i'd like to maybe have a third one um and i'd like to either for those projects or be involved in a third project that is extremely green so points a point where the building is what they call net zero um mm -hmm. like the amount of energy the building 
consumes for its you know energy needs equates to or is exceeded by the amount of the amount of energy that the building produces through uh you know what name it you know uh, geothermal solar um super tight efficient building envelopes um uh, solar hot water and any of those initiatives you could do uh to make it to pretty much not not off the grid but a you're, the building's still plugged into the power grid but the amount of energy that it uh that it consumes off the grid is is equivalent to the amount of money the building puts back so yeah i'd like is to be able to get there yeah, no, is the reason for that personally, is that a more of a uh, kind of belief of saving the environment? Is it more of just an efficiency thing? Like what are it's kind of the values that- There that are, here's a number. It goes back to transforming lives through real estate, right? I want to make a difference, I want to make an impact. So um, whatever design we come up with, I want to do the Elon Musk thing where we just take it and like, you know, put our put our, our secret sauce on a billboard here, everybody come get it. Here's how we did it, you know? Um, just like you did with the Tesla. Hey, here's all our engineering. This is, this is what we did, you know? Um, and so that's number one. Number two is, yeah, I do believe that we have a, um, you know, carbon for a carbon issue, a energy costing issue. We're probably, we're drinking a lot more energy than we, uh, um, than we maybe should be. And maybe like lower, more efficient buildings are a possibility there. So for all those reasons, um, yes, I'd like to do it. And additionally, um, making it more dollars and cents here, there are people out there, tenants that agree with everything I just said, that would like to be a part of that too. And I believe that and this is somewhat of an untested theory aside for in like dense urban areas and like, you know, urban core downtowns, there are people I believe that would, that would pay premium rents above premium rents than we've even seen for being able to live in a 0%, a zero energy footprint building. I'm sure. You know, I'm sure. Um, yeah. No, you mentioned too the uh, you know with Tesla and some of the what stuff Elon's doing. I know they took a Tesla and they launched it in outer space. Hmm, so yeah. maybe you could take a small multifamily building and launch it into outer space just for because you can, right? <laughs> Why not? Right. You do that and like well, we get to awesome. live there. I guess. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. You know. uh, hey, one last question for you, and then I want to see how people can connect with you. But what, what yes. do you think is next for the multifamily market? Obviously, this is a interesting time with lots of money printing and all the stuff that's it's going gonna on crash. in the economy. No, yeah, but, it's going to, yeah. yeah. So what, what, what's, what's next? What's your prediction? I don't see how multifamily, here's the one, I'll give you a wild card. Okay. Yeah. I don't see how multifamily completely gets cut or, or has like a major drop in value. I mean, it's going to follow a cat. It's going to follow the interest rates. So if interest rates creep up, cap rates are going to follow that. Right. Um, and so that means pricing is going to get is pricing will start getting more and more soft, the higher interest rates go, but I don't see anything that's going to drive interest rates to seven or 8%. Right. Um, the one, the, the wild cards out there are major changes in the job market. But again, I think that's going to affect the top of the market. That's going to affect your A-class stuff um, versus like a lot of your workforce housing. I was a landlord in 2008 when the market crashed and, you know, I mean, it was a hard, tough time to sell. You don't want to be selling around then in 2008, 9, 10, but rents didn't blip in my markets that, that I was in. And I was investing in all workforce housing markets. They did blip big time in the big markets in, in, in your A-class markets. But, um, and it, it is just my un, you know, my, my, my crystal ball is broken, but my opinion is that Mark, I think the market in, in, uh, in, in C-class multifamily housing will stay the same if we have a change in the, uh, if we have a change in the economy. Now, here's my curveball. Here's my, 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 I uh, call it the dark horse change. There are folks that have talked about Fannie and Freddie really cranking down on this thing. And because they're a government agency, right? 
what when people buy multifamily, you're going to either buy it on bridge or you're in, or you're going to buy it on a fa- agency debt, right? Those are the financing options because they're the best, they're the best in class, they're the best in the, the best options we got is multifamily. Um, and right now it's fairly easy to get agency debt, especially if you've got it a few times, right? Um, and the question to ask you, Bronson, is what would happen if Fannie and Freddie decided they were only going to do deals up to 60% loan to value anymore? You know, and what would happen if Fannie and Freddie decided cash out refinances are only going to be 20%? Uh, we're, we're going to drop the amount of cash you can pull out by half, by 50%. We're not going to let you do big pullouts anymore in, in, unless it's a major part of your cost basis or whatever it is. Uh, or we're just, we decided that we're going to increase our rates or we're not going to lend, unless you already have a Fannie and Freddie loan, we're not going to lend to you. We don't yeah. lend to anybody new anymore. If they change their terms, they don't think they realize how much that they are really holding the puppet strings, but they are. And so yeah. the big curveball I think that there is, is if Fannie and Freddie decide that they're going to, whatever change it is, something. they're yeah, going to something. Do you and agree? it could happen. Yeah. I mean, it, do, it could happen. I think all, you know, that would be negative. Of course, interest rates, if they rise, that would be negative toward asset values. I also think though, too, for the long term, if interest rates go up, generally ownership costs go up because then mm-hmm. you're paying more for things. So general, and if there's inflation, uh, that generally causes rents to rise over time. So I think it's unlikely we're going to see a big move in rates, kind of like what you're saying. And I think that as inflation is high, I think rents are going to continue to rise. I think it's still yeah. going to be difficult. So I think there's a lot of factors. There's obviously inflation. I think any rate increase would be washed out by a cost of living increase. By, yeah, so it, rent increase and rate increase would just kind of wash each other out. And I, I don't think any rate thing is going to drive that. I think NOIs will just go up and property values right. will continue to rise. So the one, I, I think that, that, Aside from that one, you know, game changer curveball there. Aside from that, uh, I think that this thing continues to go. Maybe at some point it hits the ceiling because rates can't go down much more unless they do whatever. But, um, but I think that uh, I don't see a crash anytime soon. And if there was, it would be because of what I just said about the rate, about the financing thing. And nobody should be hoping and praying for that because we're all coming to the same well. We're all drinking from the same fountain when it comes to financing, right? So yeah. if they change their game, then it's going to make it hard for anybody to buy. In well, the, the other thing, a couple other factors too, you know, they've printed 40% of all the currency uh, in create, you know, has been created in the last 18 months. So there's just some very inflationary factors there regardless. Sure. There's a chance we have a crash in, in different asset classes, such as you know, stock market and other things, but yet, you know, costs continue to rise, kind of a stagflationary environment. But what I love and what you shared too about, you know, uh, doing value add multifamily is you, yeah. you build in some margin of safety. So even if things go down, you still have this, you've added so much value based on the work that you've done. So it gives you additional safety versus buying REITs or class A type of stuff, which is really, uh, which is really pretty amazing. So, yeah, um, I just well, held, I mean, you know, during the last crash Bronson, I just held on to everything and I tend to, I turned it okay. Yeah. I never missed a mortgage. Payment, <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a bunch of fix and flips going when that was, when that happened. And I was like, Oh, I guess yeah. this is now rental. I guess we're yeah, not yeah. selling we're, we're this fix and flip. It. And so we're going to rent out this super bougie, uh, house with like lots of really nice appliances and nice countertops or anything like that. That would have been a nice flip. We're just going to rent it out now for nice rents, yeah. you know? Nice. Um, so we yeah. got through it and it just, I think that market cycles change and uh, the worst that would happen is if you're holding assets that make sense today. Um, and that's the way you get around a market cycle crash. If you, if you're worried about a crash, well, how about your deal just makes sense now? 
You know, yeah, exactly. the deal should cash exactly. flow now, should not be in the red now, hoping that it behaves itself in the future. Because yeah. if your deal's making cash flow now, it likely will in the future. So you can just keep cash flowing it until, yeah. until the market be, changes. Be good. Um, Matt, I just wanted to say, uh, really thank you for coming on today. Yeah. I just appreciate you. Uh, you add so much value, you know, your, your YouTube channel, your bigger pockets, all the things that you're doing. It's very clear that you really care for people, not I just do. about doing your thing, but you really want to make a difference in people's lives as well as their housing and in the world as well and the green spaces. So just thank you for all that you bring to the multifamily space. What's a good way for people to get in touch with you? Super easy, man. DeRosaGroup.com, D-E-R-O-S-A group.com. At that site, they can pick up a copy of my book. Uh, they can um, hear about more passive investment things we offer, hear about education services we offer, all kinds of cool stuff. And they, get to connect, they can get to know all of our, uh, our outlets there at DeRosaGroup.com. Awesome, man. Well, thanks again for coming on. We'll have to have you on again in the future. Thanks, Bronson. I enjoyed it. So Matt Faircloth, you can tell he's he's polished. He's you know talked about this for years. He's done it. He's, he's lived the life. And you know if you're interested in doing your own deal with no money, it's totally possible. The way we do it is with other people's money. So I've personally raised about 20 million for uh, different multifamily deals as well as other types of investments. And it's something that you know just because you've never done it doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means it's gonna take some work and it really comes through two things. It comes through networking, uh, meeting new people, uh, you know, really getting out there, getting to know people that are doing things that are different that can help you along your path. And the other one is education. There's a lot of great educational events about syndication. Um, and I, if you're interested, you can email me, bronson at bronsonequity.com. I'd be happy to send you some events that are going on that I go to because I go to a lot of national local events and uh, wherever you are in the country or even abroad, there are events that talk about this, which is, which is great. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this interview. Look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Mailbox Money Show. You've been listening to the Mailbox Money Podcast. For more free resources, articles, and videos, go to bronsonequity.com. There you can download your copy of the special report, The Single Best Investment Strategy During and After a Pandemic. None of the information shared here is an offer to buy a specific investment, and this is for educational purposes only. Consult your financial, legal, and tax professionals and use your own common sense before making any investment decisions. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to tune in next time for more Mailbox Money.